Welcome back to 60 Weeks, 60 Books. This week, we move from the rich and sonorous prose of a single writer to the rich and sonorous prose of a team of dedicated clerics in the early 17th century. This week's book is the King James Version of the Bible, which mystified me through much of my childhood and 40 years on is still a source of fascination. My parents were not remotely religious. My father, a lapsed Muslim, very fond of bacon and whiskey, though not in the same glass. My mother raised in the Anglican tradition in a wishy-washy kind of way. When they sent me off to boarding school aged eight, my most extreme experience of culture shock was the whole business of hymns, prayers, readings from the Old and New Testament. Jesus, God and the Holy Spirit were mysterious strangers to me. We marched into prayers daily, which took the form of one hymn, one reading and one batch of prayers and made the weekly pilgrimage to matins in the parish church in a crocodile, unelasticated socks tumbling around our ankles. At one point, the vicar also came in and delivered scripture lessons, which took the form of reading Bible stories retold by the actor and author David Kossoff, a blessing for all of us, since we found the King James Bible and the 1662 Book of Common Prayer pretty impenetrable as nine and ten-year-olds. The Bible became background noise, part of the daily pattern of school, At around this time, my godmother and mother both began to attend a church in Paddington, which is one of the prettiest churches in London, built in the late 1780s on the site of a church where John Donne once preached and where the actress Sarah Siddons is buried. The service was very high, with bells, smells and much chanting. I was pretty observant through most of my teens and did spend time at university attending an Episcopalian church in Aberdeen out of a sense of homesickness for ritual and mystery. Part of the English course in my second year at university was to read the St. James versions of the Book of Job, the Song of Solomon, the Psalms, the Four Gospels and the Book of Revelation. This served me well the following summer when I had a jolly job as a runner on a film set. One afternoon, I gave a lift to the accountant, a squat, serious woman with longish red hair and unrimmed spectacles from the film set to her flat. She asked me in for a cup of tea and then proceeded to proselytise for her evangelical sect, but was stymied by my unexpectedly sound knowledge of what Jesus would say on a range of matters. But in my 20s, as R.E.M. would say, that was me in the corner losing my religion. I know the song is based on a southern saying rather than actually about religion. It was released in 1991, for me a period of confusion, doubt and uncertainty over the nature of God and it absolutely summed up my relationship with the spiritual, with deities, with faith. It was a big thing, losing my religion. Those daily chapel services and regular attendance at Eucharist for well over a decade, my mother's interest in visiting cathedrals across Spain, France and Britain, and a pretty standard yearning after some higher purpose and meaning, had embedded in me a muddled faith founded on received ideas. 
In her low-key way, my godmother was also a significant influence, daughter of a bishop, hugely intelligent and very much a practising Christian, a role model for her intellectual curiosity, her commitment to meaningful work, her humour and enthusiasm for people and places, her warmth, generosity of spirit and practical support for her friends, her ability to explore big ideas and relish small pleasures. Kate was a very proactive godmother. She was my guardian when I was initially at boarding school, since my mother had yet to finalise her divorce and organise her own move from Washington to England. And later, my mother and I moved into the top two floors of her house in Hammersmith and lived alongside Kate for 10 years. When she moved to Devon with her second husband, I was a regular visitor. We shared books and I loved sitting by the huge open fireplace with a purring cat on my lap, chatting idly in the beautiful converted barn she and Bob had restored. To turn my back on the church meant to turn my back on some of the values and ideas that were dearest to her. Before I did that, I wanted to be sure of my ground certain of how and why I could no longer stand up in a church and speak the words of the creed or sing a gloria. So I began reading the Bible from Genesis to Revelations, book by book. Yes, of course I skimmed quite a bit of so-and-so lived such-and-such many years and begat thingamy, but the difficulties for me begin with Genesis and simply mount up. The God of the Old Testament is an exacting deity and the Old Testament itself is full of horrible stories of vengeance and violence, of ferocity and fury. Contradictions abound. In the context of shaping and controlling a society, many of the injunctions and instructions about sacrifice, atonement and preserving one's purity are explicable. The plagues, the locusts, the punishment for any deviant seemed, as I read, increasingly threats and torments visited on random groups of people with the intent of creating fear and using that fear to control, to circumscribe and to ensure conformity. The more I read, the more I recoiled. Day after day, I was confronted by acts of unreasonable cruelty and abuse, particularly against women who were so often seen as pawns, objects, chattels and possessions. There are contradictions and inconsistencies, there are implausibilities and impossibilities, unless the events are interpreted as metaphorical and symbolic. The New Testament is also troubling. The discrepancies in the Gospels, which all purport to tell the same story, the divisiveness, particularly of the various holy letters of Paul and others seeking to persuade the recipients of the validity of Jesus and his followers, and finally, the outright horrors of the apocalypse of of John, the book of Revelations. That said, there are great beauties in the King James Bible. The section between the Book of Job and the Lamentations encompasses what some describe as the books of wisdom, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon, as well as books of prophecy of which three resonate for me, Isaiah, Jeremiah and Lamentations, books of wrath and destruction. There is wisdom alongside folly, there is perception and sensitivity alongside the mayhem and obfuscation, and it is a fascinating exploration of human, mainly masculine, psychology. 
The Psalms are a case in point. There are laments that one's enemies have triumphed, celebrations of overcoming enemies with much gratitude to the Lord. There are contemplative moments and rich metaphors for the relationship between the worshipper and the Lord. Women, by and large, chattels, they have their worth assessed in relation to other goods, such as rubies or livestock. These books were translated and revised by committee between 1604 and 1609 on the orders of King James VI of Scotland, the first of England. This version of the Bible was a political tool intended to bring together the disparate sects and factions of post-Tudor Britain, an attempt to balance the high church practitioners still wedded to elements of Catholicism against their Calvinist and Puritanical brethren across England, Scotland, Wales and Ireland. This does not detract, in my view, from the beauty of the writing or the interpretations made by the writers. It is a product of its context, its time, its place, its social and political pressures and imperatives. It is no wonder that the King James Bible is also a wonder of the English language. It was produced at a time when English flourished, an orchard of wondrous fruit produced by the pens of Shakespeare, Marlowe, John Donne, Ben Jonson. The committees that produced the King James Version, based in Oxford, Cambridge and Westminster, were highly educated and capable. They produced this magnificent, justly celebrated book that does enrich the reader. Still, next week I will be looking at the most influential of the books that reshaped my understanding of faith, religion and belief. Join me then for a little engagement with Richard Dawkins. (laughs) 